Hello and welcome back to Equity, the TechCrunch podcast where we unpack the numbers and the nuance behind the headlines. My name is Alex. I'm a reporter here at TechCrunch and part of the Equity team, and I am proud to report that it is February 22nd, 2022. Yes, not the 21st. We are here on a Tuesday, not on a Monday, because yesterday was a holiday in the United States. President's Day, if you didn't know. Now, what is President's Day? No one knows, but we do love a day off. Anyways, it's a busy morning. We got a lot to do. Let's get into it. As always, we're going to start with a look at the markets, which really means a look at the geopolitics. I don't know if you're watching the news over the weekend. I was trying to turn off, but then Russia kind of invaded Ukraine. So then I had to pay a lot more attention. Anyways, I bring all that up because Russian military aggression in Ukraine is about as popular as a party foul, which is to say that Asian stocks had a really bad day. American stocks are set to fall at the open, declining about a half point in the tech world. Cloud stocks are off about one and a half points. Surprisingly, and I don't know why this is the case, it appears that European stocks are doing fine. They're up a little bit, which is a little bit weird, but what can you do? Essentially, the world's getting harder to predict, which means that we don't know what's going on. Traders hate to not know what's coming, so stocks go down, generally speaking. But what about cryptos? Well, quiet in the last 24 hours, big declines in the last week. So if you stretch the time out to about seven days, Bitcoin and Ether are off around 15%, give or take 15, 16% right in there. And we're seeing double digit percentage declines in the last week be incredibly common around less well-known tokens. So stocks generally down, cryptos flat to down, war on the horizon, it's going to be a busy week. So essentially between geopolitics, COVID, the value of assets, electricity, and all that, strap in everybody. Things look a little rough today, but I guarantee by Friday, they'll look worse. Two stories for you from the world of big tech. We're going to start in financial technology. We're going to start with SoFi, which announced that it's going to buy the banking infra firm Technosys for about 1.1 billion USD. Now, why do we care about this? Well, SoFi is a consumer financial services company, pretty well known, I'll say, in the US market. Got its start kind of working on student loans, expanded into stock investing and all sorts of other stuff. Also, I think it sponsors a sports stadium. It also went public via a SPAC. So we've been keeping an eye on its performance and valuation and all this. So when it drops a $1 billion deal, we sit up and pay attention. Now, according to the company, 84 million shares will be sold, if you will, to make this transaction possible or about you know 10% of what SoFi is worth. Why is it doing this? Well, we dug through the release this morning and according to the company, essentially, quote, revenue synergies and vertically integrated capabilities should bring between 500 and 800 million dollars in revenue to SoFi between now and 2025. OK, critically, also high incremental margins, the company says. So SoFi has bought technology that it needs to replace bits of its current stack that it kind of buys from other companies. It's bought revenue and it's bought gross margin. I don't know. I don't really hate all of that. It seems like a pretty good overall package, frankly. So what do investors think? Well, SoFi's stock was actually down last Friday quite a lot and it's down a little bit more in pre-market trading this morning. Now, the stock market's down this morning. So you could say, well, SoFi is just kind of in line. So maybe investors are neutral to this. We'll have to see, but pay attention. Still, I will say the company was worth $9.2 billion this morning as per Yahoo Finance data. So still a lot of value there, even with some recent declines. Now, in general, I think it's good to see fintech deals. I love them. They are clarifying. They tell us what things are actually worth, not according to investors who buy 5% of a company, but from an acquirer who buys 100% of a company. Also, it's good to see SoFi take advantage of its public company status to get acquisitive. Look, it's good to go public for a number of reasons, but it does feel like a lot of companies have gone public and then kind of not changed their operations at all or not really evolved or taken advantage of it. SoFi is not one of those companies. 
This is also a test for fintech concerns to do deals of this sort. So how market reaction plays out could indicate how many more of these deals we see down the road. So if investors hate it, probably fewer. If investors like it, probably more. And finally, in the world of big tech, I was just reading through some coverage this morning of Amazon's grocery business. Essentially, Amazon has spent lots of money over the years to buy very little delivery grocery market share in the US. And then my question is very, very simple. If Amazon, a company infamous, you might say, for showing up in a market and kicking butt and taking over and then wringing all the margin out of it, can't really do that well in the world of grocery, then, well, who can? Because who's going to do it better than Amazon, given their advantage when it comes to infra and having airplanes and trucks and all sorts of stuff? Is it an uncrackable problem at scale? I don't know, but read those stories. They are illustrative to tell us kind of where we are in the grocery and grocery delivery market, which also includes, you'll of course know, the rapid delivery market that has attracted so much venture capital in the last couple of quarters. All right, now the fun stuff. Let's talk about startup news. And there was no bigger news kind of in the world, actually, than what the Trump Media and Technology Group did yesterday. This is called Truth Social, ladies and gentlemen, and it is out. Yes, Donald Trump's company, if you can call it that, that is building a Twitter clone slash ripoff for the reactionary Internet and is merging with a public company, the SPAC combination, blah, 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 blah. It finally dropped its app. So if you want to have a version of Twitter, well, you can have two now. You can have Twitter.com and Truth Social. Here's what happened, though. They released it, and it kind of went poorly. There was some good news. It shot to the top of the app stores. But if you tried to use it, well, you didn't get very far. TechCrunch has an amazing story on this that has a paragraph that I must read to you because it details exactly how much of a mess this launch was. And this is a good reminder that downloads, which is a metric that we track via the app store and other kind of data sources that keep tabs on global app movements is not really indicative of active users. There can be a, a distinction between the two. So here's what happened to Truth Social's launch, according to TechCrunch. Though Truth Social sits at the number one spot for free downloads in Apple's app store, most users can't get into the app. When you download Truth Social, you're prompted to enter your email and date of birth, you must be 18 plus, before waiting for a verification email. But at every step of the process, TechCrunch received error messages. Once we got our verification email, the link yielded more error messages, making it impossible to create an account. Some users have reported being placed on wait lists with over 100,000 users, while others never received verification emails or couldn't move past the verification step. Woo! So essentially, yes, downloads galore. Daily active users, I don't know, 50? It's going to be fun to see how this all shakes out because jokes aside, there is an effort to build a parallel internet out there for political reactionaries. Truth Social instead of Twitter, Rumble instead of YouTube. My question is, what goes on those services that doesn't exist elsewhere that isn't just political commentary from angry men? I'm serious. Like This is easy to dismiss and kind of make jokes about, but there's a lot of money going into these companies and they are trying to build their kind of, you know, separate internet. And I don't know who's going to use it. How many folks out there are really like, you know, YouTube, I'm not into it. I mean, YouTube is famously large and successful and profitable and all this and and then there's Rumble, and I go there, and it's just kind of like the Fox News B-list. I don't know. It's too early to dismiss these companies, to be clear, so keep an eye on them. But based on yesterday's launch, they have a ways to go. Turning away from the social media world, my personal favorite part of the technology landscape, to, well, crypto. Yep, we're back. So here's what's going on. FTX.us, or FTXUS, the American arm, if you will, of the broader FTX crypto trading company, which is based, naturally, offshores released a service to help developers add crypto tokens and NFT support to their games. Now, if you've been tracking this overall kind of like 
I don't know, median point between the blockchain and gaming, you will have noticed that gamers are often a little bit skeptical of why this is happening. And I think that they're pretty much right because I've tinkered around with games for a long time and I've covered Bitcoin since like, I don't know, 2013 or something like that. So I've been, you know, I've been eyes on both halves of this particular coin and I think gamers have a point. However, The Verge, a fine publication uh, written by folks that I absolutely adore, has a great quote from Brett Harrison, the president of FTX US, arguing in favor of what his company has built. And I think it's an illustrative comment. So I'm gonna read it to you. Again, shout out The Verge for getting this via email. Here's what Brett thinks. I think the backlash is primarily out of concern that the focus on cryptocurrency will divert the efforts of game studios away from making the best game possible for the players. We believe that blockchain technology takes features of games that already exist, such as in-game avatars, skins, and rewards, and makes it possible for players to own, invest, and trade those items outside of the game. But the enjoyability of the game for all players, including those who don't wish to participate in these kind of economies, should always be the primary objective, regardless of whether blockchain tech is involved divert the efforts of game studios away from their core remit. I mean, how can that not be what happens if they're going to introduce a complicated, floating market economy for third-party speculation on in-game assets? Like, it's kind of crazy. Now, I'll tell you, I spent a lot of money on League of Legends skins. Never once have I thought, you know what I really love to do is go auction off my Sheriff Caitlyn costume because that way I can make an extra $3. No, I just wanted my little in-game avatar to have a silly hat, you know? And so there seems to be a, a kind of a shoehorning of, of crypto speculative frenzy into the gaming world. And, you know, I'm sure it'll work in some games. Like I, I can imagine a couple of different titles that have, you know, really complex player run in-game economies like, you know, EVE Online. Sure. They kind of already had its own currency and, you know, all that. So maybe there's a fit. But Zelda, you know, it, so my question is, how many games does this really work for? How many games does it fit? How many games will it actually improve and how many games will it not prove a distraction in? This is where the crypto kind of evangelism meets the real world rubber. It's, it's always really hard in my job to be too skeptical because sometimes things are surprising and then I look silly, but I, I'm not hype about this. Send us an email if you disagree. I'm sure a bunch of you do, but that's where I sit today. And I did play a lot of games this weekend for what it's worth. So yeah, there you go. Oh yeah. And there's a lot of funding rounds touching down this morning around the internet. Lots. As always, it's kind of an early week moment. So if you want to know who raised money in the last 24 hours, TechCrunch.com. Look, I know it's Tuesday and not Monday, so we're all kind of already into this week, but I just love to start my working week, if you will, with some deals. And the SoFi deal shows that there's still room for aggression in companies that have gone public. And I'll even say this, that have gone public via a SPAC. SoFi really is using its status as a public company that is having a liquid stock that it can use to go out there and make deals with to its advantage. Now, investors don't seem to be entirely enthused about this. The company has lost value in the last couple of days, this morning as well, as we talked about above, and that's a little bit worrisome for kind of two reasons. One, no company likes to announce a deal and then have its value go down. It's kind of like investors being like, oh, you're doing what? Ha <laughs> ha, I'm out of here. Now, in this case, the declines post-deal announcement are relatively small, so I don't think it's a really big deal, but they're getting to the point in which SoFi is getting close to $10 per share. Why does that matter? Well, in, in a SPAC combination, the company that the startup will merge with is usually worth $10 per share. That's kind of a standard point. And then after the combination, it kind of moves around a bit. And in the case of SoFi, the company appreciated after its combination. It was like a, a green light for the SPAC market, a, a positive sign, if you will, that SPAC deals can work with high quality companies, creating liquidity and value for shareholders. Huzzah. That matters because a lot of SPAC combinations were eating their own shorts 
And so SoFi was this kind of standout example of, yeah, it can work. You take the right company, the right deal, the right time, you know, there you go. But as SoFi gives back value, it gets closer and closer to that $10 per share point, at which point it'll no longer be this example, if you will, this, this high watermark. It'll be a, a low light, and then there won't be that many champions for SPAC combinations. And frankly, we have seen enough of them that there are a lot of companies out there that do need someone to bring to them a halo effect. And I'll just say one more thing. The fintech market for small deals seems kind of small. I feel like it's like, I don't know, Plaid out there doing deals and maybe like a couple of other firms in the corporate spin market, maybe, but it's not that active. So I'm hoping that investors turn around here and, and, and praise this, not because I care about SoFi per se, or, you know, really the company they're buying, but I just want to see more deals. Apparently we're already out of time, which is kind of amazing because I had many more things to say about SoFi, but I'm getting the kind of, you know, rotating finger from my producer. So we got to go. Don't forget, you can follow Equity on Twitter, where we tweet under the handle EquityPod. All the cool kids are there. And that's also where we host our Twitter spaces, which matters because that is one place where we put our live stream audio when we do live tapings. Like, I don't know, this Thursday. See you there. Also, I'm on Twitter where I tweet under the handle at Alex. We have a lot of shows for you this week. We're very excited about it. It's going to be a busy one. So we'll talk to you soon. In the meantime, stay safe and stop invading your neighbors. Goodbye.